All right, page 121. And there's, uh, of course, you know, in unit three, there's only one session. And that session today is love gets involved. Love acts. Love doesn't sit around pining. Love is not a spectator. Love is a participant. Gets involved. So the first question we have is, when have you seen a random act of kindness? Or put another way, when was the last time you saw a random act of kindness? It could be your own experience, or it could be an experience you saw. Um, I was at Harbor Bay um, recently and driving and trying to get out onto, you know, to turn onto one of the little roads leading out of there. And it was real busy. And a security guard could see that I was having trouble, and you know, without saying anything to her, he got out there and he held the traffic and let me go, and I thought that was very nice. Mm. Good. Anybody else? Random act of kindness. Something that really got your attention. You said, boy, that's different. You know, people could all, everybody could all be like that. Anybody else? Okay. Well, I see, I see random acts of kindness. Um, I, I take it that way. I don't know their hearts, of course, I never know. But when I'm at the light on Shirley Street and there are various people who are there begging or asking for money, I, I see people constantly putting their hand out and giving money away and that, you know, it touches me every time yeah. someone does that. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay, let's look at the Bible Meets Life on page 122. Of course, the theme is, is, is talking about God's costly love for us. Can some, someone read that, please? You mean the one, our pastor? Right. Our pastor recommended it. I tried it. It felt good, but it left me wondering. His suggestion, the next time you buy lunch at the drive through window, Pay for the person in the car behind you and leave a small card provided by the church with a note expressing God's love and information about the church. I've heard about people trying this approach and I said, I can do that. But the thought kept nagging at me. What if the person behind me didn't really need any help buying lunch, but the car behind that one was filled with a hungry, homeless mom and three kids planning to split two kids meal. It is it is is a convenient, easy, anonymous and random act of kindness, truly an adequate expression of God's love for someone else. Jesus told a parable in Luke 10 that helps us understand his perspective on how to express God's love. And who is the right recipient of that love? God's love for us is costly, and when we express it to others, no matter who they are, it will be costly for us. Amen. What's the point? Love for God. Costly love for others. Again? Love for God includes the costly love for others. And sometimes when we are challenged to demonstrate love, one of the first things we think about is, 
what's going to cost me? Right? Don't we? We always think about that. How much is going to cost me? And for, for example, the, the illustration about the drive-through. Okay, you drive up to the drive-through. You you uh, pay for your order and 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 the send, pay for the person behind you, but you don't know what that person is going to order, right? No. You don't know how big their meal is going to be, right? They could have a car full of people and the meal comes about $50. But you don't know that, right? But the person at the window, the salesperson, they would know. Yeah. Alright? So that's the person that you are. So is your love for others as costly enough for you to pay that, to make that payment? We've heard people doing that all the time in the States. I, I was going to say, I was the recipient of someone doing that really? for me. I was yeah. at a McDonald's drive-thru, and the funny part of this is that they may have thought that I really needed money, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, there, was, there was space on the, on the driveway between me and them, and my headlights were showing me that there was change. So I got out while, you know, I'm waiting in line, and I picked up the various coins that I saw because it's money. So, <laughs> and they don't uh, use it for lunch. There. They said, well, it, don't, it doesn't cost you anything. Someone paid for it. The person, how do you pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> so they thought you were scrapping for change for your lunch. <laughs> 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 no, I know this. just this weekend. I think it was yesterday. Um, I was going to say, yeah, well, yesterday. I mean, it was a good day. It became one where someone took the pizza, went and ordered pizza online. They didn't open their boxes until they got home when they opened their pizza box. There was a batch of money, a whole stock of money, two packs. One was wrapped. Well, it, that was, that was about five thousand. Yeah, money. They opened it. And then she had to call the. A manager from the store and they, they went to the other She was refunded uh, a year's supply of free pizza. Oh, wow. And her job granted her, um, I think, a week's pay. She can pay a week off the pay for for days. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my daughter was telling me that um, at Genesis, where she's teaching now, um, the administration did that one time for all the teachers. They bought all these pizzas. Uh, well, they were pizza boxes. When everybody opened the pizza boxes, they were filled with money. <laughs> they got all these pizzas. They got these pizza boxes and they filled them up with money and they gave them out to all the teachers in appreciation for uh, at the end, end of year or end of term or something like that. But they were pretty shocked because they, were, they opened the box and there was all these dollar bills. I mean, it wasn't dollar bills, but a lot of money. Notes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, let's look at what the Bible has to say. Uh, before we look at the verse, one of the things we need to know is a passage from Luke 10, usually referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it occurs in Luke's Gospel shortly after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah in chapter 9, uh, verses 18 to 20. And, and also Jesus' transfiguration. Uh, recorded in verses 28 to 36. After these events, Jesus turned toward Jerusalem, knowing that in Jerusalem he would be betrayed, crucified, and rise from the dead. Early in this final journey to Jerusalem, an expert in the law confronted Jesus with a question about eternal life. 
in order to test him. Jesus' response was powerful. Let's look at the passage. Someone read from verses 25 to 28. Just then, and I prayed to the Lord, Philip, to test me, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You are answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Okay, look at the definition there for love. What does it say? The complete devotion of one's entire being to God, not only in feelings, but in the actions of one's life toward God and other people. Now that's powerful, isn't it? When you look at that word love, that's what it means. A complete, not half-hearted, not with a half attitude, but a complete devotion of one's entire, the totality of a person's being to God, not just in feelings, but in actions. And a lot of times people only love in feelings, right? They, they minus the actions. Not only in feelings, but in actions of one's life toward God and similarly toward everybody else. All other people, regardless of who they are. So in verse 25, the passage begins with an expert in the law addressing the question. A Jewish expert in the law during that time was an expert in Old Testament law and would have been called on to interpret it in any given situation that a person may find themselves in and they want an explanation. That's what that expert in the law was supposed to be able to do. The experts in the law, also known as scribes or lawyers, were most commonly associated with the Pharisees. And his concern at this point was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What I got to do, what, what do I have to do to get eternal life? What is it specifically I have to do? Another way of wording this would be, what must a person do to enter the kingdom of God? This was a common question among the Jews during the time that Jesus walked on earth. While the lawyer's question appears to have been a legitimate one, and outwardly appeared to demonstrate respect toward Jesus, Scripture tells us that his real motive was really to test Jesus. He wasn't really interested in eternal life. He just wanted to test Jesus, see what his answer was going to be. And so Jesus responded to the question by the, uh, by the lawyer, with a question of his own in return. What does the law say? I mean, you're an expert in the law. What does the law say? He asked him, how do you read it? The lawyer was no doubt trying to justify himself by obeying the law and was trusting in his own good works. It is implied that Jesus, however, was attempting to lead him to righteousness that was superior to what he could acquire on his own by being obedient to the law. So he was trying to test Jesus. Jesus in turn turned around and, tried te and, and tested him. And he failed the test. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 124. A scribe, an expert in the Jewish law, 
directed a question to Jesus that felt like a challenge. This was a key question for the Jewish community. The religious scholars of the day had been debating how Israel might regain their inheritance and keep it forever. The expert in the law already had his idea of the right answer, and his question was a test to see if Jesus was a part of his group or just someone to be discredited and dismissed. Instead of answering the scribe's question, however, Jesus asked one of his own. In effect, Jesus said, you're the legal expert. What does the law say? The lawyer's answer revealed his training in the scriptures. He quoted a passage that devout people like him often recited. It's a passage so familiar that it's known by a shorthand title, the Shema. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Then the lawyer added another passage that was clearly important to him. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Leviticus 19, 18. Jesus himself taught something very similar by linking those two passages. See Matthew 22, 35, 40. So he commended the expert in the law. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Luke 10, 28. Still, both Jesus and the scribe knew the issue demanded more exploration. It's not possible to express the perfect love for God and others, which is what is necessary to fulfill the law. Both men knew this to be true, which meant this conversation was just getting started. Okay, let's have someone look at uh, Matthew 22, 35 to 40 and read that please. Whoever finds it works. Matthew 22, 35 to 40. It says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Okay, now notice how those two passages uh, in detail describe the definition of love that we saw earlier. See that? Love God and love your neighbor with the totality of your being, with your whole being, not half-heartedly. Okay, so we have those two passages bearing out the definition of that love. Question number two on page 124. What is the relationship between loving God and loving others? What is the relationship between loving God and loving others? Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Okay, there are no strings attached, right? I love God if he does this for me. Or I love my neighbor if they don't stop playing that loud music and I can't sleep at night. Okay? Uh, or are they being inconsiderate when they have these parties with, with all the noise? Okay, it's unconditional. You love, you put no additions, no strings attached. Okay? 
unconditional love. When have you been dragged into religious or cultural debate? That's another question. I mean, your book. Okay, let's go on to the, to the um, activity. Um, 125. Which of the following obstacles most often hinder you from demonstrating God's love to others? Check all that apply. I know Staria did this. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am too busy, my schedule is full. I'm not even sure how to help. What can I do? My budget is too tight, I can't afford it. I never really notice anyone who appears to be in need. I don't want to damage my reputation. Other, what step can you take to move beyond one of the obstacles you checked above? Um, the first one, I'm too busy, my schedule is full. You probably need to clear away some things. Mm -hmm. Some things that you're doing, maybe you need to, like I was just telling my daughter this morning, you know, like house cleaning or whatever. Mm -hmm. Some things you need to try to get someone else to do, because why is, you know, your schedule is so full because maybe you need to, you know, get someone else to do some things for you. Okay. So that at least you can light me alone, you can have time, just, you know, mm -hmm. smell the roses kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, busy doing everything all the time. All right. That's one. I'm too busy. Shared, uh, my schedule is full. Clear your schedule. Make some time. Okay. Anybody else? Um, I'm not sure how to help. What can I do? And I put other as well. Not sure how they will respond. Okay. You're not sure how to help. And um, what step you can take? Ask. Okay. Ask people on the side where the need is or what the need is. Okay. Anybody else? I think. Sorry, yeah, I don't want to take over, but that's all right. Nobody else responding, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I think um, sometime you could probably give up a Starbucks or something like that. So you could at least afford to help somebody else. Okay. You say your budget is too tight, but it's something you could probably say, well, okay, I won't have that this week, and maybe try to help somebody else. Okay. Or it speaks of sacrifice, and it speaks of how costly love being to you. Yeah. Okay. So if it's costly to you, then you don't mind giving up a Starbucks or something that you really, really want. Okay. That's another good point. Anybody else? Being consistent whatever you're doing. Being consistent, okay. All right, uh, let's look at the other passage then as we move on. Verses, uh, as we'll see in verses 29 to 32, this expert in the law couldn't let things go as a result of not wanting to let it go. Jesus told him the story. Let's look at uh, the verses 29 to 32. Why did he justify himself? Asked and teased him, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took out the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a new guy, when he arrived at the place, and saw him pass by on the other side. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of definitions there. 
priest and Levite. What's the definition of a priest there in that context? A class of male Jews descending, descended of Aaron who were in charge of the sacrifices, offerings, worship, and maintenance of the temple. Okay. So he was certainly a servant. All right, one who served, right? Yeah. Okay. The Levite. The standard of Levi, the lowest of the three orders in Israel's priesthood, priesthood, whose role was to assist the priests in their duties of the temple. This is another person who assists. Okay? Both of these persons were persons who assisted. They helped. But this man who they ran into wasn't, from their estimation, wasn't deemed worthy of being helped. Okay? What do we call that? Who wasn't worthy of being helped? Yeah. That attitude that they had. Arrogant. Huh? Arrogant. Huh? Selfish. Okay. Anybody else? Proud. What kind of attitude did they have toward this person? Huh? They're not a servant out. Okay. But one of the things they seem like they're too busy as well to stop. Okay, they, yeah, they, they may have been absorbed in what they were doing. And, well, they could have said, yeah, they're too busy, that ain't my job, or, you know, that's not what I do. But uh, Randy, there was a topic about the same subject some time ago. I'm not saying what is right, I'm not saying what is wrong. The principal part that was taught in that particular subject was that both of those men who went into the temple, they were ordained, they were they had oil upon their head, they were holy men. Mm -hmm. Therefore, by Jewish law, they were not to come in contact with that particular person because they would have to they would have to um, sanctify themselves again in order to go into the temple. Okay, so dealing with that person would make them unclean. Right. Okay. That was the whole, that was the whole mm -hmm. case right there. Okay. Cold-hearted is a word that comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at a Jewish law, mm -hmm. they were in their rights. Outside of the Jewish law, they were wrong. But they were in the Jewish territory, so they were priests. So therefore, they just have to be sanctified to go into the temple. Mm -hmm. Okay. So instead of being willing to admit that he tried to fully love God and his neighbor, this person, this leader, this Jewish leader, uh, the lawyer instead responded by wanting to justify his actions. He changed the course of the conversation by asking what the meaning and extent of the word neighbor was in the law. And then we look at verse 30. Christ told the lawyer a parable to answer his question and show him the full extent of who a neighbor was. Uh, both of these men demonstrated prejudice with regards to this individual. Um, they didn't even go close enough to figure out who the person was. It was like, you know, you're walking on the street and there's a dead dog on the side of the road and you're going to go across the other side of the road because you don't want to go near it. 
right? So it was not only cold-hearted, but it was really uh, prejudiced. The man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho. Although the man is not described in any detail, the Jewish audience would naturally assume them to be a Jew. Jerusalem sits about 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho, which is about 17 miles to the east, is about 800 feet below sea level. This was a treacherous road that was infamous for crime. Okay, it was where the, the criminals hung out and ambushed people and robbed them repeatedly, consistently. All right, so people knew that area very well. Thieves hid in locations provided by the natural landscape made it easier to rob people who passed by. The man in the power bill had obviously made a decision, a bad decision, to take the trip or to make the trip by himself. Many people, because they knew the area and they knew that people, thieves and criminals hung out in the area, they never traveled by themselves. Okay, they traveled in, in numbers. And as a result, the robbers took everything that he had, mm -hmm. beat him up, and left him for dead. Mm -hmm. And the Levite priest, the priest, and then the Levite, both categories of Jewish religious officials walked by, saw how injured the man was. Of course, the man was badly beaten and bruised up and bloody and everything, so they could see the extent of how bad the man was beaten up. Both obviously would have been expected to stop because it was another human being, but they decided that they wouldn't, they didn't have the time. Uh, they didn't have the, the, the time to do that, and so both of them passed the man by without stopping. Uh, both of them walked by on the other side of the road, totally avoid seeing the extent of his injuries because, of course, they have a heart. You know, sometimes you see the extent of something, someone's injuries, and that prompts you to want to help, right? But they didn't want, they didn't want to see how bad this man was injured because they really didn't want to help. So they walked by on the other side of the street. Let's look at the um, paragraphs on page 26. 126. 126, sorry. This is it to the book. Luke 10, huh? I said the book is just about done. Is that it? Yeah, that's the last one in the that's book. Make sure you get your new book. The new book's in the back. Okay, thanks. Luke 10. <clears throat> Luke 10, 29-32. Notice the legal expert's question in verse 29. And who is my neighbor? Is this man's mind a neighbor? Is this man's in, mind? In, in this man's mind, a neighbor was another member of the Jewish community. In fact, if the lawyer was also a Pharisee, as many were, a neighbor was a devout Jew, someone who thought acted, taught, and looked like him. We certainly can understand his viewpoint. We tend to stare clear of those people whose values, beliefs, and lifestyles are contrary to God and his word. We avoid those kinds of people, don't we? Again, Jesus didn't answer the scribe's question directly. Instead, he used a story to open the expert's heart and mind. Jesus told of a man fallen prey to the criminals who frequented the road leading down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The man was robbed and left for dead. A priest came by. This was certainly one of the legal experts' neighbors. He was a religious leader in the community. As he passed by the injured man, he moved to the other side of the road, 
Perhaps the priest thought there was no sense in becoming ritually unclean for someone he didn't know, someone who was likely already dead. Next came a Levite, another neighbor and another religious leader in the community, one who assisted the priests with their duties in the temple. Like the priests, the Levite avoided the injured man by moving to the other side of the road. They both knew the bad reputation of the road, and they knew that stopping to help, stopping to help would open themselves up to the danger of being robbed and beaten. They both decided it wasn't worth the risk for a stranger. These two religious leaders were clearly in the neighbor category for the legal expert, but they didn't act very neighborly. Why didn't they feel any obligation? Where, where was their empathy? In the end, they had no excuse for their inaction. Okay, notice some of the points from that passage now. One, uh, notice the legal expert's question in verse 29. And who is my neighbor? He asked. In this man's mind, a neighbor was another member of the Jewish community. Nobody else. And then the second thing we notice is that we certainly can understand this his viewpoint. We can tend to steer clear of people whose values Beliefs and lifestyles are contrary to God and his word. And then thirdly, again, Jesus didn't answer the scribe's question directly. Instead, he used a story to open up the expert's heart and mind. Okay, that's question number three. What situations and people might Jesus use to tell this story today? Think about it, in our culture. The Haman's two more foreigners. Okay, Sister Beth. I was um, thinking that it would be a working Bahamian driving down uh, Collins Avenue, driving in their car, and uh, they might be on the way home from work, and uh, they see a Haitian laying uh, in the gutter or on the sidewalk, and they just keep passing by. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that's an accurate one. Boy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, because Haitians are the lowest of the low. They do, totally. Okay, so that. Did the babies know? I couldn't tell the difference, but yeah. babies know. <laughs> I guess maybe the clothing or something, but yeah. I don't know. But um, now, I don't know if you would really know. Not now. Not Unless you stop and try to talk yeah. to them. So what about a Rastafarian too? You would know because they have that. There's a book, there are the dreadlocks. Yeah. Brother Randy, let's go a little further than that. Let's say this guy is in bad condition. You stop. Therefore, you will go ahead and you'll call the police. See, I become. Three hours later. You <laughs> <laughs> can't believe the person if you made a phone call. Mm -hmm. So the CID will come and say, All right, give me the diagnosis of what happened to this particular person. Mm -hmm. You called us, so you should know. So they says, Furthermore, we have to go downtown. Mm -hmm. So you go into this little room, you say, well, I don't really have time, I'm just passing by. That's not the case by the law. Forget a bunch of personal feelings, and you're looking at the law. So therefore, you will stay in this room four hours. Mm -hmm. Unless you satisfy this CID man, he's going to tell you, 
All right, I see that you will not give me the information that is needed. So my mm. next friend is going to come in. <laughs> Good cop, bad cop. <laughs> We're looking at the law. You made your own call. You have to know what the problem was. You did it. That's why I don't get involved. Now, that's the bottom line. Okay, and that happens across country oh. boundaries. Yes. Right. Okay, and that's why people don't stop to get involved. Yeah, that's right. That you can do. Call me on the table, let me on the Sounds like a joke, but it's not a joke. Well, you know, Brother Randy, what I'm thinking, I mean, I would never stop in the secluded area for sure. It could be dark. Mm-hmm. Because it's people are staging things mm-hmm. today. I, I read up some crazy things. They use children for you to stop and they jump off the bush. And we've heard many, many stories about what people do uh, to, to uh, ambush people. If it was a secluded place, I would call the police. Now, Collins Avenue, secluded. I mean, you know, that might be a different story. But I, I think personally, like he thinks, you should either call the ambulance or the police. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's look at the other passage. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're doing something to help. Right. You're doing something to help. And when you look at the climate that we live in today, you need to be wise in making the decision that you make. Okay, because we're not living in isolation. We hear of stories of individuals who are ambushed and traps that are set. So the wise thing to do would be to call and get help, if not stopping yourself. Okay, let's look at the other passage because time really running out on us here now. Um, the passage, uh, the scripture, 33 to 37. Page 123. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. Denarii? Denarii. Gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. Okay, now let's go over to page 127. And look at the paragraphs there. You can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. Luke 10, 33-37. When Jesus' story story gets to the Good Samaritan, our contemporary minds hear a signal that the hero has arrived. That wasn't the case for Jesus' original audience, however. To To put it bluntly, The Jews of that time utterly despised the Samaritans, who were descendants of people from the rebellious northern tribes of Israel, Samaria. The Jews hated them because they had intermarried with idol-worshipping non-Jews who settled in that territory following Samaria's defeat by the Assyrian Empire. When Jesus contrasted the Samaritans' compassionate behavior 
to the uncaring apathy of the priest and the Levite, it was a shocking moment. The second class, half-breed, unclean Samaritan man acted with loving compassion toward the man in need. And he did it regardless of what it cost him. He risked his safety. He took the time and effort to bind the man's wounds and ease his pain. He transported him to safety and made financial agreements to cover the expense of the man's recuperation. After the story, Jesus turned the question back to the legal expert. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Verse 36. The answer was obvious. Even though the scribe couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan, he could only describe the man by his actions, the one who showed mercy. Verse 37. Jesus' final word to the scribe was both simple and profound. Go and do the same. Verse 37. Jesus calls us to a higher standard than random acts of kindness that barely cost us the price of a lunch. His standard involves moving beyond religious behavior and self-justification. Truth be told, there's nothing random about what Jesus calls us to do. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we are to express that reality by showing love to our neighbors, those all around us. Doing so requires intentionality. In the end, love is costly, but it's always worth it. Amen. Look at what uh, John Wooden says. You can't live a perfectly, you can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. That's right, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to um, question number five. Is there question four? First question. Almost, uh, okay. Okay, question. Question four, page 126. Question four. Mm -hmm. uh, what prevents us from taking action to love others rather than just talking about it? Thinking that we're better than them. We got a reputation to uphold. And what we said earlier, ambush. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Too busy. Too busy, I'm okay. I'm I'm on the way to the meeting, to a meeting, or I'm, I'm on the way to church, church so, so I can't deal with that right now. Okay. Okay. Okay, but also, we, as we mentioned, it could be because of the the climate that we live in, mm -hmm. uh, that we live in today. All right, let's look at question number five. How do we move from random acts of kindness to an intentional lifestyle of costly love? Moving beyond religious behavior and self-justification. Okay. Go beyond the barriers of religion and show God agape and unconditional love. Okay. Putting unconditional love into action, giving it feet. Is the bad you saying that? I agree, and, and, and the, the way, the how, it's you just do it. You, you practice loving others, whatever that looks like or sounds like, and you do it regularly, and you have to be intentional. Yeah, yeah, it has to be intentional. You can't just wait for it to maybe happen around you or 
That's like the Nike slogan says, just do it. You miss it. You miss an opportunity because you're moving, you're going fast. So I think maybe to try to slow down and noticing what's happening around you because you might something might be happening where you can help somebody, but you're busy rushing to get somewhere, so you miss it too. Yeah. So maybe Okay, let's look at the um, page 128. Um, how we can uh, follow, consider following uh, the following ways to intentionally, not randomly, express God's love to others. Um, homeless. The next time you see a person who appears homeless and hungry, don't just hand over a dollar or two. Bring a nutritious meal and a clean, warm blanket. Go above and beyond. Brother Randy, today you'll go and sell it. You go and sell it. Right, right. But the bread, they can't really sell them. I mean, they give them just a sandwich homemade. Yeah. <laughs> they can't sell that. <laughs> okay. Um, that's been intentional. Uh, homebound. Volunteer to deliver meals to those who are homebound in, their, in your community through a program such as Meals on Wheels. Make a personal connection, an extended visit with at least one of the people you serve. Okay, again, that's intentional, not random. And then home room. Connect with the administrators of a local public school. Ask about the persistent needs of children in that school and then work with your church to organize an ongoing ministry that provides supplies, food, tutoring, and other items to meet those needs. Don't forget the teachers. Okay, I think our men's fellowship have something they got going on now with Centerville Primary. Uh, where they're doing that now. Okay. You mean um, they're going into the classrooms each week? Right. Uh, spending time in. Spending time in. There's a school, because Centerville Primary doesn't have any male teachers, no males on campus. None. And so they have asked for help from a number of churches in the community and um, Calvary's Men's Fellowship along with one or two other churches uh, responded and uh, so they go in every week. Uh, Brother Clifton, you're not in that group, eh? Okay, I thought it was somebody else in that group. Okay, all right, uh, last one, uh, last point as we wrap it up. God's love for us is personal, planned, and costly. It's not random. There's nothing random or affordable about it. Therefore, choose to respond by replacing your random acts of kindness with deliberate acts of love toward your neighbors. All of them. Amen? Amen.